line is baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Baked on a buttery fl crust. Baked in a buttery flavored crust. Baked in a buttery flavored crust. Baked in a buttery flaky crust. Baked in a buttery flaky, flaky crust. Baked in a buttery flaky, flaky crust. Here we go. Baked in a buttery crispy crust. Flaky. I like flaky again. See, sure they have that coupon up there. Baked on a buttery. Okay. Baked on a buttery, uh, crispy crust. Damn. Cool? Flaky. I thought I said flaky. Okay. <laughs> you should have had me do that. Oh, yeah, she loved that good. Baked in the buttery, flaky. Baked on a buttery, crispy crust. <laughs> Baked in a buttery, flaky, flaky crust. Did I screw up again? Yes, you did. I did? Yeah. Big smile. Baked and buttery flavored. Flaky. 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 Baked and buttery flaky. Flaky. Okay. Here we go. Baked and buttery flaky. Flaky crust. Baked and a bait. Oh. Baked in a buttery crispy flight. Jack, you two in the back, you want to be an intelligent commercial? Can you save a line, ma'am? Baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Yahoo! All right. They got it. Well, we've been talking about improvising. Sometimes it's just good to get your basic lines down, right? Before we talk about improvising, that's hilarious. Flaky crust, I love that. Something about being married that long, I don't know, it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. Well, welcome to Lakeside Church. Good morning. How you doing? All right, it's good to see you guys. Well, we are in a series, and we're closing it up today, and it's called Improvise. We've been on this journey, and the journey is a long one, and I want to tell you a little story about a person that lived in the early 1800s that actually had to learn how to improvise. He had to learn how to improvise because he needed to save his life. His name was John Coulter, and he was a living legend in his time. Some of the men have heard me tell this story. I, I think I told it at one of our men's Bible studies recently. It's a, it's a phenomenal story. You can read about it on the internet as you search out. Uh, he was a part of the uh, Lewis and Clark expedition, but he didn't want to come back because he fell in love with the West. He fell in love with the Rocky Mountains and the scenery and the rivers all the way the, to the Pacific Ocean. And so he stayed behind and he became a mountain man and he became a fur trapper and he had a partner named John Potts. And so John Coulter and John Potts used to trap fur, used to trap beavers to get their fur on the Missouri River. Well, this particular area of the Missouri River where they were trapping was in dangerous territory. It was the territory of the Blackfoot Indians. And so they would set their traps in the morning, and then they would go hide during the day. And then they would come back in the evening under the cover of darkness, and they would see what they caught. Well, one day, they're traveling their canoe up the river, and they look up, and they see on the ridge above them about a hundred maybe 200 Blackfoot Indian warriors. 
and they're completely surrounded. Now, John Coulter knew it would be hopeless to try to get away, and so he paddled right over to the edge of the bank of the river, and they got out of the boat, and uh, all the warriors came down, and one of the braves took the gun that John Potts had out of his hand. And Coulter was a big guy, so he went up, and he took the gun back and gave it back to John Potts. And they kind of stood there and looked at him. And uh, John Coulter told John Potts not to, not to try to run, don't do anything hasty, but he didn't listen to him. He jumped in the water, and he tried to get away really fast, and they pierced him through with arrows, and he died right there on the spot. And then they took John Coulter out of the river area. They took him up onto a flat part of land, and they started to talk about what they wanted to do to him. And John Coulter understood the language. They didn't realize this, and they were talking about how to kill him. Some of the young braves wanted to burn him at the stake. Some of them wanted to scalp him. And then they started to talk about having some fun with him, having a little foot race with him. And so the chief came up to John Coulter and he said, are you fast? And he said, no, I'm not fast at all. I'm slow. Actually, he was fast and he had a reputation for being a pretty swift guy, even though he was a big guy. And so the Indian chief took him about 300 yards away from all of the young, brave warriors. And they lined up and then... They took Coulter and they stripped him naked. And then the Indian chief said, you need to run. And so he took off running. And in a few seconds, he heard the war cry come out and they all started chasing him. And he, he looked off into the distance and he, he, he saw that there was another fork of the Missouri River in the distance ahead of him. He thought it was about five miles away. And he was running, and he was running, and he was running. He was running through the prickly pear. His feet got all bloody. He started to bleed from his nose. He was exhausted. And at one point, he looked behind him, and there was only one warrior that could keep up with him. And this guy was closing in fast. It was 50 yards, 40 yards, 30 yards. And John Coulter knew that he was not going to be able to outrun this young Indian warrior. And so he decided that he was going to turn around as fast as he could, stick up his hands, and just scream. And so that's what he did. He turned around and he yelled, and it startled this young guy. He threw his spear, missed John Coulter, it went into the ground. Coulter picked up the spear, and he pierced the Indian to the ground. Killed him. And then he took off running again. And then as he got near the banks of the river, he heard this cry of rage come out when the rest of the Indians came up on that one that was dead. And he slipped down into the icy cold waters that were there from the snow runoff. It was that time of year. And he hid under a beaver's lodge. In a few minutes, the rest of the Indians came down and they were walking all around. And they were actually walking right near him, but they didn't find him. And he stayed submerged underneath this water until nightfall. And then they gave up, they went away, and when it was in the middle of the night, he crawled out of the river, and he started to walk. And he walked, and he walked for 11 days, 156 miles into Camp Bighorn. 156 buck-naked miles that guy walked. Man. You see, the Christian life, as you know, is not a sprint. You know that. 
It's not even a marathon, some 26.2 miles. It's not 156 miles. The Christian life is, as Eugene Peterson wrote about 20-some years ago, it's a long obedience in the same direction. This is the Christian life. It's long. And, you know, the Bible says that our life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But it doesn't seem like that when we're in the middle of it. The journey seems long to us. One of the things I I say often is that the most difficult thing about the Christian life is that it's so daily. I mean, it's every day, right? A lot of people can do the Christian life for a week or two or for a year or two, but this is a lifelong journey. It's long. It's also difficult. The Christian life is difficult. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. And isn't that the truth? He also said that he has overcome the world. But the, the journey that we're on is difficult. And it's also dangerous. At one point near the end of his life, Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Do you know that that's what he wants to do to you? He wants to sift you like wheat. We have an enemy that is real. At one point, Peter, in his own letter to the churches, He wrote that our adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's his plan for you. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour your marriage. He wants to devour your children. But Jesus told Peter, hey, I've prayed for you. There is a power available to you to overcome. But we have this journey. It's a a long journey, a difficult journey, and a dangerous journey. And as we've been looking back into the story of the early Christians, into this historical narrative of the book of Acts, one of the things that we realize is that it's always been that way. For Jesus followers, this is the journey that we've been on. And so we've been able to be encouraged by how they lived life, how they were able to walk with God and listen to the Spirit of God and improvise with this Spirit so that they could do this long, difficult and dangerous journey, and ultimately so that they could finish strong. In fact, at one point, the Apostle Paul, it's actually in the passage that we're going to read today. He says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Paul wanted to finish. He saw the finish line and he wanted to reach it. At one point, he said to the Corinthians, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And he told them, therefore, run in such a way as to win. And that's been my prayer for Lakeside Church through this series. As we've gone 28 chapters in 28 days, as we've landed five weeks now on five different key passages in the book of Acts, that we would have the strength to do this long journey and to finish strong so that we can complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to us. 
And so we started right at the beginning of Acts, and we saw how there was this explosion of grace, how the early church was born, and literally thousands of people were turning away from one way of doing life to another way of doing life, and they began to follow after Jesus. And the church was born, and we saw how they began to interact with one another, how they began to love one another with this amazing love that they had. And when they did, they showed an exuberant generosity. Not just any type of generosity, but one that came out of a heart of thankfulness and a heart of joy. No one had need. And they gained this amazing reputation with people outside the church. Imagine the church having a great reputation. And it said that the Lord added to their number daily. And the church grew and it grew. And there was conflict and they had to solve that conflict. And there was persecution. There was a great persecution that actually scattered the early believers all over the known world at that time. And when they went out, they brought an extravagant love with them. And this extravagant love was so amazing that it broke down barriers. It broke down racial barriers, ethnic barriers, cultural barriers, sometimes economic barriers, and even political or military barriers. It's something that just was so great, so amazing, that it was able to break through some of these human divisions that we put in our lives and in our cultures. And as they went out, and as they interacted with people, they invited them into engaging relationships. The kind of relationships that are life-giving, that are life-filling. And it was a beautiful thing. And so the story kept moving on. It kept moving forward as they improvised with the Spirit of God. But there's one thing that we haven't touched on yet in this series. And so we're going to wrap up with it today. And it's something that we absolutely need if we're going to finish strong and complete the task that the Lord has given us. And that thing is that we need extraordinary power for this journey. We cannot do this journey well without power. We cannot finish strong without power. And so if you have your Bible, let's look into Acts chapter 20. One of my favorite passages in all the book of Acts. We've saved it to the very end. It's this beautiful picture of the heart of the Apostle Paul as he says goodbye to some of his best friends. Paul spent three years in a city called Ephesus. And it was a wild ride. There was persecution. There was economic upheaval. There was all sorts of spiritual attack and things going on there. People's lives were being changed. And he had this little group that he started with. And the church grew and grew and grew. Ephesus was a pivotal city in the world of the day. It was sort of a melting pot of cultures and religion. There was tons of money in Ephesus. And so it was a critical time for the early church. And Paul had left and he'd gone on some more journeys and he he was coming back through town towards Jerusalem. And as he does, he wants to say goodbye to this little band of believers. And so he comes to a port town and he sends for the leaders of the church. And if you look down in verse 18, this is where we'll start. It says, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the from the day I came into the province of Asia of of Asia. 
I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, he's improvising here with the Spirit of God, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. One of the observations from this narrative right off the bat is that extraordinary power, power that we need to finish the race, flows out of a costly devotion. To follow Jesus is a costly devotion. Paul knows that power isn't cheap. It says here in this passage that he served with humility and tears and great devotion in the midst of what he calls a severe testing. And that testing comes from his brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith, from his own people. Paul made it a habit of always going to his own people Over and over, we've seen him go into the Jewish place of worship, the synagogue, and reason with the Jews that are there. And some believe that often the result is persecution. In fact, Paul made a list at one point of all the things that he had faced. He was writing to the Corinthian church, and in 2 Corinthians 11, this is what he says. He says that he has been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers." He says, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And then maybe what weighed on him most was this. He says in verse 28, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul loved the church. And all these little churches that he has started, he worried about them. He went and visited them. He wanted to care for them. You see, Paul understood something that every Jesus follower will have to confront at some time or another. In fact, God brings us back around to this over and over again if we follow after Jesus. Paul understood that if he was going to have great power from God, that he would have to embrace one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. And that is that power from God comes from being led by God. And to be led by God means to follow the way of Jesus. And to follow the way of Jesus means to find yourself at the foot of the cross. 
This is where the Christian life always leads, to the foot of the cross. The cross, it's the place of power. Back then, it was the place of Roman imperial power. It was the sign of power. Rebel and get the cross. Do something that we don't like and get the cross. You will be punished, but God takes human power. Power that is distorted, power that controls, and he subverts it, and he reappropriates it. And it's still a sign of power, but now it's not a sign of control, but it's a sign of love. He still says, have you rebelled? Come and get the cross. It's a symbol not of death, but it's a symbol now of life, of new creation. The cross. You see, that's one of the great mysteries that we have to deal with, is that in actually giving up, we actually become even more powerful. One of my favorite books, if I had to choose any leadership book to encourage somebody to read, I would choose this little thin book by Henry Nouwen. I've read it probably 20 times in the last 20 years. I've taken tons of leaders through it, young leaders, older leaders. Many leaders in our youth department here at Lakeside have read it. It's a brilliant book. It's short, it's small, but it's like throwing daggers at your heart. Henry Nouwen was a a Catholic priest. I'm not Catholic, I'm not a priest, but it's a phenomenal book, and I'd encourage you to get it and read it. He talks about power in this book as he reflects on what leadership is in the 21st century. Here's what he says. One of the great ironies of the history of Christianity is that its leaders constantly give in to the temptation of power. Political power, military power, economic power, or moral and spiritual power. Even though they continue to speak in the name of Jesus, who did not cling to his divine power, but emptied himself and became as we are. What makes this temptation of power, <clears throat> of power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the task of love. It seems easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life than to love life. Jesus asked, do you love me? We ask, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom? You see, so often we want to control life. I mean, this is a little bit humbling to even talk about this because I like to control my life. I, might, I want my life to run smooth. My wife knows this. She's like, Sean, you, just, you always want to be comfortable. You, know, you want to have a comfortable seat. You want to have a cup of coffee in your hand. You don't want anything you know, happening in life that gets you, you know, off track or anything. I said, you're right. I want a comfortable life. I mean, are you guys with me? Do you, are, you, are you hearing this? Am I preaching it now? Come on. We want to be comfortable in life and we like to control it but power actually comes in the christian life not from holding on not from grasping but from opening up and actually letting go it's the irony it's one of the mysteries of the christian faith is that as we give up we actually receive a greater power an extraordinary power for all of life And this power is actually able to subvert the powers of the world as we go out and we confront the injustices around us. Love. It's an amazing thing what God does with power. The first type of power is taken. 
The second type is given when we lay down our lives, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. And so this is what Paul is talking about with these Ephesian leaders. He wants them to know how power works. He wants them to know because they will lead this church. He's going away. And they need to know how to lead. They need to know how to be strong. Extraordinary power flows out of a costly devotion. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Extraordinary power also flows out of a committed teamwork. A committed teamwork. Let's look back at Acts chapter 20 and let's pick up the story and kind of read the rest of it to the end. Look down in verse 25. Paul's still talking here and he says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. You see, Paul was part of a team. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And then he gives them these instructions. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. It wasn't cheap. To bring you into the kingdom of God was a costly thing. That's how valuable you are. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And we get to see kind of into the heart of Paul and his love for the church. Now I commit you to God. And to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. Another way to say that is among all those who are becoming more like Jesus. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Committed teamwork. Paul was a part of a team. Everywhere he went around the world, he formed little teams. This is what Jesus did with his disciples. This is what Paul did in the early church. Guess what? This is what we do at Lakeside Church. I cannot tell you what a joy it is to wake up every single morning and be a part of the team here at Lakeside Church. I get excited to do that. We're not a perfect team. We're growing. We're trying to figure this thing out. We're trying to improvise with the Holy Spirit. But I love our team. It's such a joy. Last night I was in In In-N-Out Burger, and um, I looked up, and I saw this rather short person with a beard coming towards me. And I thought, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to see you. You're on sabbatical. What's going on here? Now, don't tell him that I saw you, and don't go looking for him. He's still hiding out a little bit. He's got a couple more weeks. But my heart just leaped a little bit. And it's done that for our staff over the years. I love being a part of this team. You see, 
When we're in isolation, we never lead well for very long. And that's why at Lakeside, we're committed to teamwork. And it's actually one of our clear and simple pathways to help you become a part of community, to help you belong to community. If you feel isolated, if you feel alone, if you need relationship, join a team. Join the Blitz team. Get online this afternoon and sign up. Start there. We want to offer simple and clear pathways to do that. And so one of the ways to do that is just to join a team. Paul gives some instructions to these elders. He tells them that he wants them to do two things. One of them is that he wants them to lead in a team really well. But the other thing he says is, he says, keep watch over yourselves. You see, a lot of us think about leadership and we think about leading others and we need to help others and we picture a coach or a business leader or or somebody, but we forget that we have to lead ourselves. Self-leadership is one of the most important things in life. I encourage our lead team all the time, at least once a year or twice a year, get away for a day, maybe a couple days, get away for a week if you need to, and do some self-evaluation. Do some assessment. Ask yourself some questions. I have 10 questions that I ask myself every single year. I go away and I type it up. How am I doing in these areas? And set some goals for the future. We need to learn how to lead ourselves well so that we can lead wherever we are, which actually is the theme of a leadership summit. That's why we believe that every single person should come to the summit because it's so important to know how to just even lead ourselves well. Committed teamwork. You will be a better team player when you lead yourself well. And that's one of the reasons why Paul tells them, keep watch over yourselves. He says that these savage wolves will come in. There, there's, there's people that from within and from without that will attack the church of Jesus. And he wants us to band together and be strong. And so he encourages us to be a part of teams. That's the second one. Here's the final one. If we are going to have extraordinary power, it flows out of a compassionate heart. What a great way to finish this series. Just a compassionate heart. We see the emotion here of Paul, and we see his heart come out, where he says he worked so hard so that he could minister to the weak. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, Paul is walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus gave him the music, and Paul is playing the music as he improvises with him, and it's beautiful. Who could you be compassionate to this week? How could you show compassion this week? It's one of the best ways to love And in doing so, there is remarkable power. Again, when God wants to subvert the powers of the world, when God wants to change culture, when he wants to revolutionize somebody's life, a life like yours, and when he wants to change it, and he fulfills the mission of transforming as many people as possible, he does that through amazing love. It's an amazing thing how he does it. He doesn't hit you over the head. He doesn't bring in the tanks and start shooting people. He loves. He goes before us. He dies for us and he rises again. And we have the ability to show that same love, that same compassion to those around us. Whether it's here locally, whether it's down in San Francisco, whether it's around the world, whether it's just to our neighbor that's living next door to us. How can you show compassion this week? It's a costly devotion. There's a price to pay. 
but we do it together as a team. And as a team, we go out into the world and carry the story forward with tremendous compassion. Are you guys with me? Are you with me in this? Yeah, we can carry the story forward, huh? 28 chapters, 28 days. I hope you were on this journey with us, and I hope you had a good time. Uh, Let's go out and improvise with the Holy Spirit as we love our neighbors. Will you pray with me? Father, thanks for your love and this journey that we've been on, and uh, that we would, God, that we would be able to hear you and recognize what you're doing in our hearts, even right now in this moment, what you're doing, what you're calling us to. God, how you're shaping us and shifting our mind. And so, God, we ask you to continue to work. We ask you to continue to lead uh, because we need your leadership. There's no life without you. True life is in you, Jesus, and we thank you for that. And so, God, give us strength, give us power, uh, give us all that we need to carry the story forward here in Folsom and beyond. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.